Hoxton Movies with Nikki Alexandru, Matt Williams and Morton Wright in association with Genesis Cinema. Only on Hoxton Radio. Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio. Sing it, Renee, sing it. That is Renee Zellweger there from uh, Judy, which came out last week. It's the film that everybody is talking about as her major comeback. Not Judy Garland, obviously, Renee Zellweger. It's called For Once in My Life. Now, I must admit, listening to that song and actually listening to the whole album, uh, which is our soundtrack of the week, Renee was always like, oh, I can't sing, I can't sing. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You want to hear the versions of these tracks? Absolutely amazing so you will be hearing a selection of those songs throughout the show so welcome to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio it is the 10th of October it is 6pm we're going to be with you for the next two hours bringing you all the latest movie news and reviews plus all the latest from the London Film Festival Morton's here with me hi Morton hello how are you yeah I'm good how are you I'm good I'm not too bad now you haven't really had a chance to get to the London Film Festival have you I've not been at all so you haven't far. seen anything no nope. have you been watching anything on the player no, I should have been doing, but no. Busy I've just, boy. Yeah, I've been busy. I don't think I'm going to actually be able to get to this weekend either beyond <gasps> maybe The Irishman. Well, please come to see The Irishman with me. I feel mm. like bereft that I haven't sat next to you once at all. Oh, so I went to see Knives Out yesterday, which I'll be reviewing later in the show. Okay. The queue. So I got there. I saw the email the night before of just being like, if you come in to watch Greed, you have to leave and then yeah. rejoin the queue. Well, they had problems with that. I think people were, were staying because it... it didn't start for about 15 minutes after the scheduled time oh, okay. but the queue so I got there the film was starting at 10.15 I got there at quarter past nine and the queue was already all snaked all the way around Leicester Square out onto Charing Cross Road oh, by the end it had circled the entire square it was just crazy um, I think everybody got in mm. I mean I'm not sure it's that's much- one of those queues when just randomers will join it and about half, half an hour into the queue just be like what are you queuing for yeah, it's what my mum would do. She'd she'd just be like, oh, "It's just a go, very British thing." Let's isn't just it? go and join the queue. Yeah, we see the end of it. We just join the end of every queue just because yeah. something exciting is happening. Um, my favourite thing of London Film Festival, and it has been probably for the last couple of years, but mm. definitely more so this year, is just watching the grumpy critics. <laughs> they are so grumpy. What yeah. is that about? Look, uh, there could be a, a variety of reasons, but. Oh, well, we're going to get into it because we've got overheard at LFF. Aha! Lovely. I'm stealing your thunder. Uh, we're going to, I've got some quotes to, to read out of things that I've overheard. I'm not going to stitch anybody up, but they were quite amusing. Um, but for the first segment of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest movie news. So first up, we're going to be talking about a new trailer that dropped yesterday for a movie that's actually getting its premiere at the London Film Festival tonight. It's called Earthquake Bird. It's directed by Wash Westmanland, who did Still, Still Alice, Alice and yeah. Colette, two mm. great films. Um, this one stars Alicia Vikander and Riley Keough. Okay. So interesting pairing. Mm. It's set in 1989 Tokyo, and Vikander plays uh, a lady called Lucy Fly, who is a female expat, and she is suspected of murder when her friend Lily goes missing in the wake of a tumultuous love triangle with a handsome local photographer. Um, so this has been on the slate for a while. It was announced in 2016 
that Wash Westmoreland was going to direct it. Um, and he also adapted the screenplay, which is based on the novel by Susanna Jones, which was a big, big hit. Uh, the film, as I said, is having its world premiere tonight at the BFI London Film Festival and will get a limited theatrical re- release on the 1st of November before landing on Netflix on the 15th. Um, so the trailer looks quite interesting. And I, it's, you know, he's not done thrillers before, mm. Wash, uh, Wash Westmoreland, that I know of. But I really enjoyed Still Alice and I, and I really liked Colette. Um, he seems to be, he draws very good performances from actors. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting as well, because Alicia Vikander, you know, was the most buzzed about young actress, won the Oscar for The Danish Girl, then did Tomb Raider, which I actually quite enjoyed. I watched it recently. Yeah, I was it like, wasn't yeah. terrible. No, it was fine. Yeah, yeah, I was like, what, what? This seems to be unfairly. Yeah. Also, had it been Chris Pratt, then it would have got like solid four star reviews across the board. I agree. I agree. And I also think you can see how much work she put into that. Yeah. Not that I'm saying you should see that, but you can see like she's pretty much on the go from the off. Um, and I think she carries that film. So I find it really interesting, but her projects since winning the Oscar have been a bit varied. Mm. Um, this looks like quite intense. Looks like she's probably got a lot to get her teeth into. And Riley Keough is one of the most exciting young actresses. So I'm, I'm interested to see their pairing. Um, so, yeah, so the trailer, as I said, dropped yesterday. It is showing tonight at London Film Festival, and you can catch it at, at on Netflix from the 15th of November. We have a few questions. Okay. Where were you the night Lily Bridges disappeared? Lucy, this is Lily, Lily, Lucy Fly. So how long have you been in Japan? Three weeks now. It's weird how everyone stares at you. It's like being famous. Some people get addicted to that. You are not normal. Neither are you. No. So let's not pretend to be. You photograph everything. Of course. Do you have a boyfriend? You do? He's so cute. Cute. Okay, whatever. He's gorgeous. He's like obsessed with you. Why do you say that? I know, man. She's a piece of work, that one. It's like you're the only one who exists. Then she moves on to someone else, and it's like you were never even there. What do you say about the future? Come on. We have something no one else could share. Don't you know that? I do. I know what I'm feeling. It's not right at all. You must trust me. He's the only person who ever really saw I was. I feel like something really bad's gonna happen. So we got another um, big movie to talk about and we were just saying Clint Eastwood has kind of crept in at the last minute with an awards contender. Mm. Uh, Richard Jewell is his new movie and it's going to have its world premiere at the AFI Festival in November in the States. Um, 
So it's produced by Warner Brothers and it's directed and produced by Eastwood and it stars Sam Rockwell, Kathy Bates, John Hamm, Olivia Wilde and Paul Walter Hauser. So it's based on true events. Richard Jewell is a story of what happens when what is reported as fact obscures the truth. The world is first introduced to Richard Jewell as the security guard who reports finding the device at the 1996 Atlanta bombing. His report making him a hero and his swift actions which saved countless lives but within days the law enforcement wannabe um, becomes the FBI's number one suspect vilified by press and public alike his life is ripped apart reaching out to an independent anti-establishment attorney Watson Bryant played by Sam Rockwell Joel professes his innocence but Bryant finds out um, finds that he's out of his depth um, as he fights the combined powers of the FBI, uh, GBI and ABD to clear his client's name while keeping Jewel from trusting the very people trying to destroy him. So, I mean, it's perfect Oscar material. Mm. Um, Clint tends to make very solid thrillers, particularly of this kind of ilk. Yeah, he does. But at the same time, the past couple of years, he's kind of made very just... Republican celebratory true lifers like Sully, the uh, train to Paris, whatever that oh, one was. Oh yes, 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 yes. So yes, like, yes. yeah, this this one certainly looks like it should have a bit more. The Mule was quite good. Yeah, and he directed that. I think that was his last one, wasn't it? it was last yeah, year. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I liked his performance in that as well, actually. And yes, he's a bit of a doddery old Republican. There's no question. Mm. Um, but he's a very polished filmmaker and. He does. I mean, like, I think probably the best film he's done in recent years was uh, Changeling with Angelina Jolie. Mm. Say recent years. That was <laughs> oh, a while ago. It now. was ten years ago, but it was still <laughs> it was still a very very good film. Um, he's assembled a great cast for this. The trailer looks great. As we were saying, I think Jonah Hill was in yeah, talks Jonah to play Hill the character. Yeah, Jonah Hill was in, originally in the uh, Paul Walter Hauser role, and someone else. Huge. I, I want to say Leo, but I don't think it was. DiCaprio yeah mm. or Bradley Cooper possibly in the Sam Rockwell role probably Bradley Cooper he's got a past with Eastwood Eastwood yeah, so, yeah American Sniper and all of that but this looks great I mean one thing that really excited me about this is Kathy Bates mm. who you know is one of the best actresses um, and her career in film dwindled a bit after say Primary Colours um, and she sort of worked more in TV and then mm. had a massive comeback with American Horror Story uh, this part looks like a great part for her yeah. where she plays the mother of the suspected bomber um, even from the trailer you can see she's uh, she's given it some uh, so yeah I mean I would imagine this has been selected by AFI I know Eastwood is a big favourite of theirs but I think we've it's got to watch signed, out yeah we've got to watch out for this because they would have seen it um, I think rather like 1917 which we're always going to talk about in a minute mm. and Little Women um, there's going to be some real Oscar worthy a fair release towards the end of the year yeah definitely I think this year has kind of been one of those ones where it hasn't actually been that front heavy uh, in terms of the Oscar season and a lot of the stuff that was trying to be that front heavy uh, stuff has actually come out to very mixed reviews such. I agree I know I think also some of them have been heralded and actually aren't as good yeah. as people are saying it's because it's a weak year yeah and, definitely you know I, I mean I'm going to talk about it in a bit but I saw Knives Out yesterday mm. um I also have seen Parasite, which is okay. Yeah, the winner of the Palm Door. No film is better than that. I, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's a but masterpiece. It'll get best foreign language picture. It won't. Although it's going to be up against Pain and Glory, which mm. I also loved. I, I do think Parasite is a better film because it's, yeah. it's the message of it is so powerful and it's so entertaining and it's so beautifully done. Um, 
but yeah so we'll see but yeah I, I agree it won't ever sneak into best picture they won't mm. nominate for that but but best foreign language it might uh, anyway Richard Jewell it has no UK release date yet so I guess they're just going to do it um, sort of second half of a of a festival season yeah. they're going to premiere it and then expect to see it unless it gets a critical drubbing on uh, the awards lists mm. let's get a new tape going all right, Richard, here's what we're going to do. We need a voice exemplar. I want you to say into this phone, there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Richard, you're a national hero now. Thank you, sir. But I was just doing my job. You always look at the guy who found the bomb just like you always look at the guy who found the body. Jewel fits the profile of the lone bomber. A frustrated white man who is a police wannabe who seeks to become a hero. We're running it. You're a suspect. You don't talk. I talk. Say it. I don't talk. This might be the only way to clear your name. I want you to say there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Stop trying to be their best friend. I was raised to respect authority. Authorities are looking to eat you alive. There's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. I'm sorry, what? His accusers are two of the most powerful forces in the world. The United States government and the media. I do want to help y'all on law enforcement, too. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Did he do it? Richard Jewell is an innocent man. He's a hero. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. One more time, just a little louder. I report the facts. You've ruined this man's life. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Do a couple in a row. My son saved people's lives. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. You set that bomb. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. I don't know how to protect you. Like your client is guilty as hell. They want to fry you. You ready to start fighting back? Hoxton Movies with the Genesis Cinema on Hoxton Radio. I uh, just want to give a little shout out to uh, a listener who's texted in, Mr. Nicola Alexandru um, from Norfolk. Thanks so much for listening into the show. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so we've got some more news for you. Uh, Kirsten Dunst has replaced Elizabeth Moss in Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog. So um, Jane Campion, of course, has been working mainly in TV. Yep. She did Top of the Lake and Top of the Lake 2, uh, hence why Elizabeth Moss was maybe mm-hmm. in the lead role for this. But Moss has had to exit the project due to scheduling conflicts. So Dunst will be joining Benedict Cumberbatch and Paul Dano in the adaptation of the 1967 Thomas Savage novel that follows the lives of two wealthy brothers who have opposite personalities. Dunst will play a local widow that Dano's character marries. Netflix is set to release the film in 2021 on streaming and in theatres. I'm glad Jane Campion's come back to feature films because she's such a great director. Yeah, no, she's fantastic. And it is one of those things that you are kind of just questioning. Who is it that's not commissioning her? Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, it's a really good sign, I think. Uh, hopefully, it's a big passion project that Netflix have put their backing behind as well. What do we think about Dunst replacing Moss? Um, I, 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 I 
think Kirsten Dunst is great as well, and mm. it's it, she's another actress that's kind of like fallen by the wayside a little bit in the last few years. Like, kind of had supporting roles, but well, I think again, TV, isn't she? Because she got yeah. a lot of great notices and award rec- awards recognition for Fargo, mm. and now she's in a show on Showtime set in Florida. I can't remember the name of it, um, but that's getting great reviews as well. I think what I like about the casting decision is both Elizabeth Moss and Kirsten Dunst are probably two of the most uh, out there actresses you know they tend mm. to they tend to seek out work that is challenging um and they're not afraid to kind of really let loose in front of the yeah, camera you know, they're very, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the right word is to use for it but they're very free in front of the camera so. yeah they can be very restrained in a lot of roles and yeah. it's then that like when they do kind of unleash themselves that you kind of get shocked and remember oh yeah no you are capable of this as well I know I mean I feel for Elizabeth Moss every time I watch The Handmaid's Tale I'm like how do you do this in every episode you put yourself through the ringer Mm. Um, and also Her Smell have you seen that yet which one sorry it's a film called Her Smell which um, yeah which uh, she plays a Courtney Love character and god she's just like completely crazy in it because you didn't say like it's a film at first I was very concerned <laughs> you were like and her smell and her smell oh, oh. I was like oh god here we go get again get some mum roll on deodorant <laughs> I'm joking I'm joking um, alright so as I said that's going to be out in 2021 and we're excited for it because Jane Campion is a brilliant director and we want to see more output from her alright final bit of movie news before we uh, play a couple more tracks from the Judy soundtrack 1917 is the new film from Sam Mendes, um, and it's uh, set obviously in World War during spring in northern France, and it's about two young British soldiers um, who are given a seemingly impossible mission to deliver a message which will warn uh, of an ambush during one of the skirmishes soon after the German retreat to the Hindenburg Line during Operation Alberic. The two recruits race against time and they cross enemy territory to deliver the warning. Um, And the whole aim, obviously, is to keep the British battalion of uh, 1,600 men alive, um, which includes one of the boys' own brothers as well, so there's more of an emotional attachment to it. Uh, The pair must give their all to accomplish their mission by surviving the war to end all wars. Uh, So the trailer for this is extraordinary. Mm. I think it looks very very impressive I'm really pleased I love the two actors that he's cast in the lead roles George McKay who people might know from Pride and Dean Charles Chapman who was from Game of Thrones they play the two young soldiers that sent into war and then he surrounded them with like the classic vintage British actors Mark Strong who's in everything Andrew Scott Hot Priest Richard Madden Colin Firth and Benedict Cumberbatch Um, I think this is going to be another one that is going to really if it's received well yeah going to get a lot of awards attention I think so yeah we talked about this a little bit last week as well me and Nikki because it was announced then the trailer hadn't the new trailer hadn't come out at that point it had just been that featurette that kind of announced that it's shot in such a way uh, that it's going to look like it's one shot and we were both a little bit cynical towards it like I think hopefully it'll be wonderful but it feels like a fairly established safe choice now for a name director who perhaps needs to recover from a slightly poorly received uh, film that's very much within their wheelhouse Mm. uh, going for a war film big budget war film yeah but we don't see a lot of first world war no true that that is what we said last week as well that yeah it's, it's a nice change in setting to kind of go back to the First World War because it was 
a very different one to World War Two. Mm. Like it was trench warfare still at that point, so it yeah. was different emotions at play. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. Well, I think it looks good, and there's also an extraordinary scene in the trailer. Trailer two dropped yesterday uh, of a fighter plane that's been shot down mm. flying down into a barn that they're in um, so I think aesthetically it's going to be really really impressive so here you go here's the second trailer for 1917 Blake pick a man bring your kit I hoped today might be a good day hope is a dangerous thing you have a brother in the second battalion Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. Let's talk about this for a minute. Why? We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. There is only one way this ends. You're listening to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio. Hoxton Movies with the Genesis Cinema on Hoxton Radio. Oh, Renee Zellweger, absolutely killing it. Mm -hmm. Really, really impressive vocal stylings from Miss Zellweger there. That's from the Judy soundtrack. Right, it's time for our Genesis slot, our partner cinema, Genesis Cinema. So we're going to turn to Morton to find out what's happening there. Indeed. So tomorrow night at 6.15, we've got a one-off screening of Dolomite Is My Name. Oh, I saw this. This Mm. is unusual. How did they manage to get that? I'm not sure because I could have sworn that I saw that this was going to Netflix. It is. So it's a Netflix movie, but it premiered at Toronto. Okay. Two very good reviews, I might add. Deemed as Eddie Murphy's big, big comeback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's got uh, Eddie Murphy in the lead role, uh, and it follows um, the multi-talented Rudy Ray Moore, who, uh, when Hollywood shuts him out, 
sets out on his own to make the 1975 black exploitation film Dolomite. Uh, so yeah, this is one that I think has taken on a bit more than a cult status these mm. days. Definitely, um, I know that uh, on my old high school's uh, film studies curriculum, uh, they watched Dolomite as part of the black exploitation module, uh, and yeah, like you say, it's had really really good reviews supposed to be eddie murphy's biggest role biggest good role for a, a while uh so yeah that's at six fifteen tomorrow night if you fancied that also it's quite exciting because the screenplay is by scott alexander and larry karazuski who wrote amongst others big eyes the people versus larry flint man on the moon so they're very used yeah, to yeah, doing yeah. these biopics of revered characters and equal parts drama equal parts comedy because even the people versus larry flint which mm. is a you know tough subject is very funny on occasion so i think these guys are the perfect people yeah to no write it the seems screenplay. it seems like a good match pretty much all across the board with that one so yeah definitely an interesting one if you want to watch it at the cinema before it's on netflix uh then genesis is the place to go uh, also tomorrow at nine o'clock as part of uh, Genesis's celebration of Black History Month, uh, there is a screening of Ava DuVernay's Salma, uh, which follows the uh, story of the uh, pro uh, protests in 1965 by uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, so if you fancy going and watching that as well, then there's still tickets left for that. And it's an absolutely fantastic film. Uh, then on Saturday at 12 midday we've got the latest edition of Right Along Movies it's the usual setup of a surprise film at midday for three and then you can go up to the bar afterwards and work and share with your fellow writers that have just watched the film <laughs> uh, so yeah 12 o'clock midday on Saturday for that then on Sunday morning uh, no Sunday afternoon at one o'clock as part of the Black Cultural Archives Film Festival uh, there is a special screening of multi-award winning short film Jemima and Johnny as well as three episodes of Bino and Fino followed by a meet and greet with the characters behind the animation uh, so yeah this is also part of Black History Month as well uh, and the Bino and Fino uh, cartoon is a series about a brother and sister named Bino and Fino who live with their grandparents, Mama and Papa, in modern day city in a modern day city in Africa. Uh, so yeah, if you fancy going along to that, then there are still tickets available for that on Sunday as well. Also on Sunday, it is the closing night gala of London Film Festival. And if you didn't get tickets to the gala in Leicester Square itself, then there are still tickets available for the live stream, including red carpet live stream uh, at Genesis. And it is Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, the near three and a half hour uh, epic that will see Robert De Niro, Joe Pesky and Al Pacino all being de-aged with computer technology uh, so yeah if you fancy watching uh, the story of um, a possible mob hitman and his role in the killing of a union boss in the 1960s then 1970s I mean uh, then Genesis is the place to do it again it's another Netflix release so it probably won't get too big a cinema release obviously a little one to get like the kind of awards qualification but nothing huge yeah I mean I saw De Niro 
in a couple of interviews. Actually, I have to say, De Niro was interviewed on CNN mm. last Sunday, and I happened to be watching it because I'm a little bit addicted to the news cycle at the moment, <laughs> and because it changes every minute. Um, and De Niro was on talking about uh, the impeachment because he obviously has been very mm. vocal about Trump, and he talked about the Irishman, and he said, you know, excuse me, sorry, he said that... Um, was that verbatim? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what he did. He sneezed at that exact moment. <laughs> and I'm a method actor, so I uh, <laughs> followed suit. It's true, Matt has got a mole on his cheek at the moment as part of this <laughs> quote. It's a hairy mole. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he said that, you know, as much as it, 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 the uh, presenter said, oh, this is the first time you've done a Netflix movie, and he said yes. He said, and, you know, he's glad because it will probably be seen by a wider audience. Mm. Uh, however, he was urging people to go and see it on the big screen if you can yeah. because it's Scorsese and it's it's going to be epic as you said yeah he also then um used the f-bomb dropped the f-bomb 2 p.m on a sunday afternoon on cnn um because he was asked about fox news and what he thinks of them and he went f them f them they're liars and i was like go on bobby you still got it fair enough love him and as a result the irishman posters will now bear from the star of dirty grandpa <laughs> I love that they're asking him, like, oh, so you're in a Netflix film, as though he's taken a step down. But they do, but people do still think that. I no, mean, I just mean more with Robert De Niro. Like, he's taken a fair few steps down in his career. <laughs> like, I'm hoping that this is, like, his kind of fantastic swan song. He'll get the Oscar and then kind of politely be like, right, that, that's, that's me done for performing because I'm going to get dragged in to meet the great, 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 great little fuckers. Yeah, and no one's going to come and watch it. Look, he's got to pay for his house and his ex-wives. You know, <laughs> sometimes you got to you got to take the the money spinners. Um, was bad grandpa a money spinners? I never watched it, so I don't know. Was it dirty no. grandpa? Dirty grandpa. Not bad grandpa. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see it. I didn't like the look of it. Was that the one with Zac Efron? Yeah, or Ted Bundy now, as he's gone serious as well. True. Um, yeah, well, I think you should go and see it on the big screen. Also, I love the fact that they're showing it the same day as the London Film Festival. That's brilliant. Yeah, no, it's great, definitely. It's been a long time coming, I would say, Genesis being part of LFF. It's got one of the biggest screens in London in terms of seating. So, yeah, it makes sense. Exactly. Screen one could easily... Easily be a gala screen and definitely... Easily. Get and you've that got, red carpet out. Yeah, <laughs> but you've got all the space as well for yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, the introductions and the Q&As. It's perfect. Yeah. Uh, also this week uh, on Monday at 6.15 another exciting one we've got a special one-off screening of Farming complete <gasps> with a Q&A with the director Adewale Akinwe Agbaje uh, who you may also know as I will always and forever know him as Mr Echo from Lost yes uh, but yeah no he's a fantastic uh, British Nigerian actor and this is his directorial debut uh, based on his own experiences uh, to some extent uh, of being farmed out to a white British family uh, in the 1980s uh, and as a result he uh, gets wrapped up in a world of racist skinhead gangs yeah and we've got a clip what's all this about you being suspended you've been lying to me I've had the school round What's all this shit you've got on my walls? You've been running with them yellow skins, haven't you? Fighting with them sailors. I saw you down the docks. You better not bring the bloody law down on me, boy, I swear. 
I am the law. Hoxton Movies with the Genesis Cinema on Hoxton Radio. Well, that was a clip from Farming with Kate Beckinsale doing her rough and ready Essex accent. Mm-mm. I love Fantastic. Kate Beckinsale. I mean, I do, look, I'm a big fan of hers. I think this is an interesting project. Yeah. But there is a film that's out at the moment that deals with a similar topic, doesn't it? Yes, there is. Uh, I think Nikki reviewed it uh, possibly last week. I'm trying to remember the uh, the name of the film now. I know Tree is in the title. The The Last Tree. The Last Tree. Yeah, it's one of those situations where two uh, quite similar projects have come out at the same time. But um, but yeah, this is autobiographical. Yeah, this it? is so. autobiographical and a, a little bit different. I think in the last tree, they were possibly still living with their family uh, in that, and then there's uh, there's uh, part of the narrative in Nigeria as well. Uh, whereas this one, there was a really interesting uh, interview with the director in The Guardian a few weekends back uh, when he was first on the uh, on the scene promoting the uh, promoting the film, where he talks about his own experiences. So basically, his uh, parents were academics or doctors, possibly. I think they moved out to England, uh, were working and studying in London, uh, but they basically kind of adopted out their son to a what they were believing was a posh white British family that would give him the time and start in life that he needed that they wouldn't be able to because they were working constantly and it turned out a little differently but yeah, um, yeah no I think it looks really really interesting and you get a Q&A with the director with the screening as well so definitely worth checking out on Monday uh, then on Tuesday at 6.30, also as part of Black History Month and presented by Parable, we have got Julie uh, Dash's 1993 Daughters of the Dust, uh, the classic, uh, classic, classic film set at the dawn of the 20th century uh, following a family in the Gullah community of coastal South Carolina, former West African slaves who adopted many of their ancestors Yoruba traditions who suffer a generational split in America uh, it's supposed to be amazing it's still one that has sat on my Netflix list for <laughs> ages but uh, I will get around to it at some point uh, so yeah n- next Tuesday at Genesis at half six and then finally this time next week at uh, 8.40 also as part of Black History Month we have got a special screening of Hero along with a panel uh, uh, the, and it's presented by Black History Studies uh, which was launched in March 2007 by husband and wife team Mark and Charmaine Simpson uh, because they noticed that our community wanted to learn about their history from an African perspective but there were no real outlets offering a, stra- a range of learning opportunities. Their mission is to inform, inspire, and empower people through black history and black studies by educating the community to educate themselves. And that is it for this week. Great stuff. Thanks, Morton. Okay, coming up, we are going to have reviews of Joker, Judy, American Woman, Kathy Griffin, Hell of a Story, and the films that I've been seeing in LFF. But first, we're going to have another huge track from the Judy soundtrack. This is Get Happy, Renee Zellweger and Sam Smith on Hoxton Radio. You're listening to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio. (laughs) 
Thumbs up or thumbs down? The latest movie reviews with Hoxton Movies. Judy Garland with Blues in the Night. Now, that is not on the Judy soundtrack, but it's the only Judy Garland track that we had on the system. And to be honest, I was quite surprised that we did. Mm. Um, But, God, what a lady. What a lady. We're going to be talking about Judy in a bit. But first, Morton, you saw Joker. I did. What did you think? I... So, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this is Todd Phillips's much hyped uh, kind of his attempt at doing an Adam McKay. Oh, really? I, that, that's the way that I kind of feel it's been marketed. Obviously, uh, a little less seriously because it is a DC comic book film. Uh, but we have Joaquin Phoenix in the role of Arthur Fleck uh, slash the Joker. Uh, a failed comedian who encounters violent thugs while wandering the streets of Gotham City dressed as a clown. Disregarded by society, Fleck begins a slow descent into madness as he trans- transforms into the criminal mastermind known as the Joker. Uh, so this is set in the 80s, uh, and it's a very unsubtle, <laughs> clear attempt at kind of allegorizing Trump and the rise of the far right uh, at the moment and how um, to an extent vulnerable people can get swept up in that but also how it's just a very toxic environment as well and how things that should genuinely be looked at in terms of like the wealth divide the gap uh can kind of be disregarded as just extremism mm-hmm. as well, but it's all very ham-fisted and it's very half-baked. It's it's for me, Todd Phillips kind of probably just went, oh, Joaquin, amazing actor. Let's just put him in this and it'll sell itself. And it does to an extent. And there are scenes that he carries brilliantly, but he doesn't quite carry the whole film. I don't think because there's just too many attempts to cover so many bases. That, like, it's the first time anyone's ever had really a Joker origin story other than uh, the Gotham TV series. Like in in the comics, it's all very shrouded in mystery, I believe. So this is, and that's what this is. It's an origin film. So it's got all the problems of an origin film, <laughs> except it's actually a very one-sided origin film because there is no genuine hero to counterpoint his anti-hero. Right, as such, so it just feels like. Is there of, not a? Because I mean, when I saw the trailer for this, I just felt this is Taxi Driver set in the DC comic world. Yeah, uh, where in Taxi Driver the humanity was brought by Jodie Foster's character. Is there a counterpart to that? Person? Not, not especially. So right. Zazie Beats is fantastic, uh, and yeah, is it gives a really nuanced performance in it for what is actually quite a small role. But she does bring a different angle to it, definitely. Um, but there's no there's no one to kind of really root for, as such. Like it's in a way you're rooting for him in the first half of the film because the system's failing him. Like his uh, mental health support is being shut down because the city can't afford to run it anymore. Um, he's kind of being 
exploited at his job and kind of not not by his bosses so much but kind of he's he's an outcast amongst the other clowns that are being rented out uh to kind of do advertisement for local shops and whatnot and you can feel like everything piling on top of him but it's not done in a way where you're just like oh yeah this is exploiting his mental health because it's it's not a serious film in that respect and it just plays to so many tropes that like the way i felt is if you've seen king of comedy if you've seen nightcrawler if you've seen actually to an extent christine uh with rebecca, rebecca Hall, Hall, yeah you've seen a lot of this before mm. but it's kind of being put in this big flashy way that there's really painful kind of box ticking exercises of oh here's a brief scene with alfred here's a brief scene with bruce wayne thomas wayne is kind of the bigger antagonist as such like he's the even he's the outright villain of the piece as such but arthur fleck isn't hero he's kind of idolized but he's not a hero like as a sensible like grounded person in reality you can see that he's not somebody that you should support Mm. Um, and I think that's one of the things that has kind of drawn a lot of criticism of the film in some corners that it is it could be perceived as trying to idolise like this kind of extremist figure I don't think it is but it doesn't land the nuance well enough to justify that that's not what it's doing and do you think that lands squarely on the shoulders of Todd Phillips or the script or by the fact that they've essentially created a starring vehicle for Joaquin Phoenix around the DC universe I think it's a combination of all three definitely the script is literally oh look there's bin bags piling up Gotham's horrible it's unequal cool that's it and you're just like no I need more I need more than that like I need more than just like the kind of understood history of this city Mm. from films before from comic books from tv series like i get that it's a fairly torn city but like you need to show me that in a distinctive original way for your supposedly distinctive original film and it's like it's so many background details like that there's a really amazing moment about halfway through that involves uh Stacey beats but when you actually think about it for a little while you're just like okay you could have actually done a lot more with that in other aspects of the plot in the first half of the film as well that would have led to a really powerful gear shift that mm. wasn't that didn't quite land as a result and it just all feels very half-baked like there's kind of there's attempts and introductions of lots of kind of revisionist histories of this character but it's not followed through enough and the editing as well is what actually robs it away from Joaquin because there's in the pivotal scenes where he's kind of like having full-on breakdowns the editing's so fast and choppy that the camera doesn't hold on him for that much at any point and you're just like no he's a good enough performer to carry this and like carry this character and let you understand like the pain of this character Mm. and it's just a bit too flashy instead and it steals the moment from him so it sounds as if they've tried to make a intense character study about you know a man suffering with mental health issues as well as something that's going to appeal to mass audiences. Um, It just strikes me that they have literally put this together on the back of DC comic book um, hype in order to make sure that it is successful at the box office. But actually, it's quite removed from the DC universe and the previous adaptations that we've seen. Yeah, definitely. You could very easily remove uh, the Joker 
element from this film right yeah. and have a fairly interesting film but again not a massively original one but you might at least be surprised where it goes because it's got the name joker and because you know it's part of the dc universe there's a chance that it could surprise you but they don't take that chance and it, everything that has to happen happens and it's just it just becomes a bit of a box ticking mm. exercise um it's definitely generated a lot of controversy i mean yeah. in the states it's had the hugest uh, like the most uh successful opening weekend in October history mm. uh, 90 plus million dollars it took in its opening weekend it's taken now nearly 300 million dollars worldwide um, there was a lot of problems uh, with security I think it's yeah. cinemas or theatres in America where security guards were hired um, one was even evacuated because it was a credible threat um, so what I've seen is half and half I've seen uh, a lot of critics absolutely loving it and then I've seen quite a few female critics mm. um, offer think pieces on the nature of creating this sort of film and there have been people that have been saying that if only uh, films by female directors were given as much hype for example yeah. Phoenix plays a tortured character in Lynn Ramsey's uh, You Were Never Really you Here, were never really here a phenomenal film it's fantastic yeah. and that didn't get anywhere near the same level of hype yeah. and the reason for that is it didn't have a big studio behind it it didn't have the the uh the folklore of of comic book um you know already sort of fandom yeah. and it, yeah so it's it's, it's interesting it, that's the thing it's got an inbuilt fan base that like so it's not an awful film it's just a bit half-baked there are enjoyable moments in it but it's got a fan base that perhaps aren't as cine literate beyond comic book films that will go into it and watch it and not get the references that it's and like the clear films that it's being in a homage to and will come out thinking it's a masterpiece because they need to watch more and it's just you know Please stop bothering my kid. Sorry. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> this is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they can do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. You can say that again, pal. For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed, but I do. And people are starting to notice. You think this is funny? 
this a joke to you? Uh, Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Thumbs down. The latest movie reviews with Hoxton Movies. Joker is showing everywhere now and our partner cinema, Genesis Cinema. A lot of talk that Joaquin Phoenix will pick up an Oscar nomination for his performance. Another person who is getting a huge amount of Oscar buzz is Renee Zellweger for her performance in Judy. So Zellweger has been away from the big screen for a bit. She came back with the third Bridget Jones about three years ago, I think. Yeah. And that was a big hit. And then she's done some television work with the Netflix series What If. Um, but now she is taking on the part of Judy Garland. The film is directed by Rupert Gould, who is a better known as the theatre director. And it's adapted from a Olivier and Tony nominated West End and Broadway play called The End of the Rainbow by Peter Quilter. Uh, the film got its premiere back in August at the Telluride Film Festival, uh, to which all of the reviews were absolute raves for Zellweger's transformation into Judy Garland. So this one, the film, is set 30 years after Garland has starred in The Wizard of Oz. Um, so she's now um, sort of moved to London for a bit to perform sold-out shows at the Talk of the Town nightclub. Um, at the beginning of the film, it opens with Judy and her two children um, basically taking next to no money for public appearances and doing like little cabaret mm. shows in clubs in LA. And she goes to the hotel that she's been living in since her split with her husband, and um, she can't afford to pay the rent on it, so she ends up being um, evicted. So the kids then go back to the father, and she gets the opportunity to go and play in London. Um, so she takes up the... Uh, the opportunity so while she's there it's kind of like a um you know sort of a walk down memory lane with her she reminisces with friends and fans um, and begins a whirlwind romance with a musician called mickey deans played by finn whitrock who uh, ends up being her fifth husband so i um was very much looking forward to this film i'd seen uh, sid and judy which is the documentary that's on at the london film festival i saw that which is all about their relationship and mm. you know pretty much everybody knows the story of Judy Garland um, in that when she was 14 years old she was assigned to uh, Metro Golden Mayor uh, Louis B. Mayer um, and that he sort of took, his, took her under his wing but he was brutal about her you know he would constantly berate her appearance mm. um, make her work ridiculous hours and it wasn't helped by the fact that her mother was legendary legendary as the worst stage mother ever she was giving her uppers and downers to keep her awake she wasn't allowed him to, to eat properly mm. um judy was was terrorized as a child and she yeah. didn't have a childhood um so all of that has obviously played into her adult life and she's you know she comes across in the documentary and from all accounts and from the film and zellweger's performance that she was a very warm lovely character but she was 
she 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 came alive when she was on stage but to get her to stage to get her on stage she would often have to rely on barbiturates and booze mm. um and she was very trusting and she had very powerful men around her that were exploiting her and she didn't know anything else um what comes across i think definitely more so in the documentary than in the film even though that's the driving force of the narrative is her love for her children and i think whenever you've seen interviews with lorna luft or lisman early I don't, I don't think there's many interviews with her son, but the two ladies, they always talk so fondly about their mother and about how great a mum she was. Um, also, it's so interesting because, you know, with Ryan Murphy's shows like Feud, you kind of, the veil has been well, and the Me Too movement, the veil has been lifted on the treatment of mm. actresses in particular. And Judy was the moneymaker. Judy was the talent. And she was abused and treated so appallingly by, by uh, men in suits. But she had this adoring fan base and that's where the film kind of focuses on so she moves to London and um, she's on her own and she feels quite isolated Michael Gambon in a very not a pretty much non-written part plays the owner of Talk of the Town this club and obviously Judy is um, never a diva Mm. maybe just a ball of insecurity and I think that's what Zellweger captures really really cleverly um you know the, on the first night when she's supposed to be doing her opening show she locks herself in the bathroom but Jessie Buckley who we know from Wild Rose and Chernobyl who is so I can't believe I'm watching the same actress as <laughs> the one in Wild Rose even though the part is really thinly written she's so good in it and she is essentially there to scoop Judy up and, and get her on stage no matter what and um you always know it's not her just throwing her toys out of the pram she genuinely yeah. has got so much anxiety and she needs to do this work because it's the only way she can a get custody of her kids maybe fight her ex-husband in court um and make money so what Gould does quite effectively is he uh doesn't introduce the musical numbers until a good little way into the film when she takes to the stage for the first time and it's so well done like Zellweger nails it mm. i mean but sadly for me it was the only time the film really fizzed with energy okay and it's not a musical so in the downtime in between that you've got the scenes of of her relationship with mickey deans and i like finn whitrock he's a good actor but he is miscast in this role they're mismatched they have no chemistry it doesn't really mm. work so their scenes just kind of flatline a bit and also it's a film it's a star vehicle and there's no question zellweger is fully committed to the performance but she's so electrifying that yeah. everyone else pales in comparison. Um, and she's underserved, you know, because the script is very ITV Sunday night drama, as okay. is the direction. It's quite pedestrian. Um, and I don't know whether it's the most interesting chunk of Judy Garland's life to examine. Now, we have flashback sequences um, where they show young Judy and her dalliances with uh, Louis B. Mayer. And you can see there's, like, hints of... Um, sexual predation there mm. and and there's all that going on but it's and it sort of does set the framework for why she is the way she is as an adult um but it's all very soapy okay. um and that's it sort of left me and that like the mother as i'm sure she was like a, a tyrant she's also so one-dimensional yeah you know and i think they would have benefited from because it feels very much like you would see it on stage you know where something is done in a little flashback a flashback to kind of uh to frame what you're going to see yeah. it's like that but you can do that more interestingly well you can do it interestingly on film as well but on on stage when that kind of thing happens it it has like a kind of dream like quality which is sometimes is what is missing in film flashbacks that mm. it's just very much 
and this is how it happened mm. rather than kind of like a bit of imagination going into it like making it feel a little bit more dreamlike yeah and it, it's not like that there's no stylistic mm. um moments in it that make you think oh this is an identifiably uh you know kind of signature film you know it's yeah. not like that at all it's very it's very straightforward and i think it will appeal to a lot of people for that reason um there's no question like as i said the big song and dance numbers and selweger i mean she just nails the vocals as we've heard on the show tonight it's just really really great um it's a very big performance that's full of ticks and manner- mannerisms I wasn't as blown away by it as I mm. as everybody else has been. I felt like you could see it was Zellweger acting, and I didn't want to see that. I wanted to see Judy. Yeah. And there are flashes of it, no question. But when you watch all these interviews with Zellweger and then you watch the film, it's like, oh, I can kind of see that it's you doing a very good impression. Yeah. And that's just how I felt. It's my own personal opinion. I mean, there's a lot to like about her work in it and how committed she is, uh, but it's bigger than anything else in the film. One th- sequence I did have a problem with is more of a problem with is uh, Judy's isolated and lonely in London. She doesn't really have any friends. Uh, the husband's not there. The kids aren't there. And she goes to the backstage to meet two gay fans, to this couple. Mm. And obviously, it's set in. Um, uh, what year was this set in? I can't remember now. I think it, it would have been late 50s, early 60s. I think it was the 60s, yeah. So she meets this gay couple at the stage door and they are showering her with compliments, obviously. And she uh, asks them if they want to go for dinner. And so they they are obviously overwhelmed. Judy Garland's asked them, it's amazing. So they go, they can't find anywhere. So they end up going back to this couple's flat. Mm. And they, Judy and one of them has a whole conversation about being outsiders and how... Um, you know you you really struggle to be uh, acknowledged and appreciated and obviously there's you know the parallels there of how judy is such a gay icon yeah and how friend of dorothy was a moniker for are you gay back in the days when you couldn't be open about it and what should have been a poignant moment feels quite manipulative i get that rupert gold wanted to bridge how relevant and important judy garland was to the lgbt community mm. i mean the Stonewall riots <laughs> were around Judy's dying and you know and everything else but it was like um, it it did feel like they were pushing all the buttons and because it didn't happen yeah I felt like it was a lot of artistic license for someone who we don't know like she obviously was fine with her fans but we don't know that she's actively supported the no. LGBT community and I feel like sort of making her that martyr left me feeling a little uncomfortable as moving as the scene was I don't want people to think oh that's fact because yeah but it's not and it's artistic license and I I felt a little bit uncomfortable I felt like I was being manipulated and I I didn't appreciate that (laughs) yeah no that's fair enough it's always a tricky balance with that kind of thing and yeah like you say if it didn't happen and if the film itself isn't really too stylized then you can't take too much license in that respect no i do worry as well though in in this respect that we are kind of seeing a new trend in terms of biopics um that producers and screenwriters have kind of realized oh people are getting a bit fed up of like the entire life story kind of thing and now with this and with stan and ollie as well we're kind of getting that slightly past their prime performing in venues that are a little bit beneath them kind of performer biopics well it's the easiest way to get a solid actor in the part because you can just do limited flashbacks with a young actor and then the majority of the the kind of faded star 
work gets done by someone like Zellweger mm. who just bites into it. Um, I have no doubt at all she's going to get Oscar nominated and she probably deserves it. I just, I wasn't blown away by it and I wish I was because I, I do think she's a phenomenal talent. Mm. Um, and I, I definitely don't think it's like a uh, a blight on Judy's memory at all. I think it's a, it's a nice... Uh, homage to a woman who clearly loved her kids, clearly loved her fans, mm. and was so ridiculously talented. Like that, I think that's if, if that's the takeaway from the film was just how amazing a performer she was. Because if you think about it, she'd be backstage, nearly on the floor, having taken mm. uppers and vodka for the last few hours, and then she gets on stage and delivers an incredible performance. I mean, that's a star, and so it's testament to her that the film captures that. Um, I just wish it had been a better script. No. Come on. No, Sid. Judy. No. No. I'm working harder than you would ever believe. Are you? And right now my husband is making a deal for me that means I can start over. You're not listening. I have someone I can rely on now. Someone who's helping me make money instead of losing it at the track. Can we not? I'm going to get a place and they're going to live with me. I don't want them on stage with me. I don't want them in this phony business, and I don't want them anywhere near the bastards who run it. But you have to let me be with them, Sid. I'm a good mother. Thumbs up or thumbs down? The latest movie reviews with Hoxton Movies. Now, Zellweger's been on record as saying she can't sing. <laughs> I mean... It's modesty. I, it is. Those notes. I mean, God, she's taking the roof off the church. She's, uh, yeah, she's playing the modesty card for the awards push. She does that quite well, though, doesn't she? She's, where she's like, <laughs> little old me who can't sing. With her pursed lips. I don't know why I was, like, chopping my lips there. But anyway. Um, no, all right. It on, came across on the mic. It it's did, a, didn't it? it? I could hear much, it, yeah. and I thought, that sounds sloppy, and nobody needs that on a Thursday night. Um, <laughs> right, we're going to talk about another film that's got a another fantastic central performance um, by an actress and this one is called American Woman it actually was made in 2018 and premiered at TIFF this year it's directed by Jake Scott who is Ridley Scott's son and it stars Sienna Miller Aaron Paul and Christina Hendricks it's set over a period of 11 years and the plot follows a single mother played by Miller who is faced um, with raising her grandson after her daughter goes missing under mysterious circumstances um it's a bit misleading, actually, because when you read the premise, you think, oh, it's going to be a bit gone, baby, gone, or, mm. you know, that kind of drama. And to a degree, it is. But actually, it's much more a character study of this young woman, uh, Deborah Callahan, who Miller plays. And she's a very young mother. And when the film opens, they're living in a small cul-de-sac in Pennsylvania. Um, Pennsylvania? Is that what you say? Pennsylvania? Yeah. Pennsylvania. You have to say it quickly, otherwise it sounds weird. Um, so she uh, lives in a cul-de-sac opposite her sister and her husband and the family. And she's got a young teenage daughter who's had a young son. And the mum is kind of reckless and she's, you know, she's out drinking a lot. She's having an affair with a married man. The daughter is clearly struggling mm. with the fact that her 
baby daddy isn't really engaged with being a father. Um, so it's really just the two of them. And they seem to have a quite a good relationship at the beginning of the film. But then her daughter goes out on a night out and doesn't come home. And of course, the like uh, Deborah is like fuming and goes to try and find her mm. um, and realizes that she's just not around. Nobody's seen her. Nobody knows what's happened. Um, and then the film, instead of sort of focusing on, say, the police investigation or them trying to find her, it kind of lurches forward to when um, the boy's a little bit older and we can see that uh, Miller is still, uh, Deborah, sorry, it's played by Cena Miller, is uh, still hopeful that her daughter might return. Mm. So they have like, you know, uh, sort of birthday parties for her in the park. Um, and But what the film does, instead of, of focusing on the the missing child it focuses on how the mother deals with that and then her relationship with her mother played by Amy Madigan it's very estranged they don't get on they don't see eye to eye mm. um, and then also the relationship between the sisters which to Miller and Hendrick's credit creates such a believable dynamic and it's so fascinating to watch how frustrated the older sister is with the younger sisters mm. um, really kind of uh, impulsive nature um, and you can see she's kind of going off the rails. But then the third act of the film is, you see Deborah has cleaned her life up. The grandson is now a teenager, nearly a teenager, and she has taken herself to college. She is in an abusive relationship. She's kind of settled with this man who basically can f pay for the house they're living in. Okay. Well, she's studying, but um, she soon kicks him to the curb. And then it's about her independence. And then Aaron Paul's character comes into it as this really kind of a uh, nice working class guy who is uh, who seems to be able to kind of pick her up and save her um, but then obviously things don't go according to plan either um, I was really genuinely surprised by this film it reminded me very much of uh, John Cassavetes or uh, Scorsese's Alice Doesn't Live Her Anymore mm. it's very much a gritty character study of a woman uh, working class woman who overcomes all of this adversity all these obstacles to thrive and on her own yeah like if anything the men in the film are counterproductive to her ever pulling herself out of the situation she's yeah. in and what's great about it is that the screenplay doesn't ever go for like really unrealistic turns of fortune you know where um, the plucky woman overcomes all obstacles mm. you can see between uh, between Miller's finely uh, calibrated performance and the screenplay it never hits a false note and it is I have to say I saw Sienna Miller on the stage a couple of years ago on Cat on a Hot Tin Roof oh, okay. and I was blown away by her she was phenomenal this is finally a leading part that is worthy of her talents mm. she is so convincing as this woman she rides every sort of journey of the arc of the story and does it with sheer conviction and you know it's 13 years it's not an, that's a quite a considerable amount of time yeah. to kind of go over it's also one of those difficult kind of time periods to kind of portray as well because nothing too major is it's it's not like a kind of generational change as such it's like that awkward kind of bit where it's like well you can't suddenly act doddery like it's kind of how do you show the slight passage of time rather than the yeah. decade spanning passage of time well i think what the, the the sort of skill of her performance is that the character starts off as this kind of wild cat mm. like aggressive woman who then 
pulls herself up by the bootstraps and educates herself and makes the best of a bad situation. And Miller never hits a false note. It's mm. remarkable. And I'm surprised that not more people are talking about her being a strong contender for award season because she is she carries the whole film but everyone around is great Christina Hendricks is just a, one of those reliable actors when yeah. Christina Hendricks is anything you know she's going to be good but in this the two of them they create this kind of you know when they get irritated with each other and they go at each other you 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 have such a sense of sibling rivalry and such yeah. a sense that they've been around each other for a very very long time um, and then I also like that you know not all the men in the film are uh, completely awful like Will Sasso plays um uh, Terry who is uh, Christina Hendricks husband and he is like he loves his sister-in-law as much as she frustrates him mm. and he has to pick her up quite a few times and calm her down and things um, it just it, it just it, it's not a film that is necessarily going to blow the roof off anything <laughs> people aren't going to come away from it going well that's changed my life but I thought it was expertly filmed. There's some wonderful visual moments in it. There's a brilliant scene, actually, sequence where um, just after her daughter's gone missing, she's out looking for her. And, um, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's been a while, actually, since the daughter's gone missing. She's raising the grandson. She decides she's having an affair with this married man who isn't really giving her anything. Mm. So she gets drunk and drives to his house, breaks into his house, okay. and starts making like food in the kitchen <laughs> and ends up having this massive moment and then gets thrown out and then crashes the car and this whole sequence it just it's so metaphorical for what she's going through and it actually works really really well at speaking about what what it is that this character is really conflicted by um, and then there's a scene at the end of the film which I thought it's just a close up of Miller at a jail having to face something that is unimaginable mm. and you never see the other character you only see her face and her reaction and I was tears it's a it, honestly one of my favourite performances of the year Sienna Miller in American Woman and it is out everywhere now so you should you should check it out I think it's on the Curzon definitely um it deserves a wider release than it's mm. probably going to get um but do seek it out could be a good shout for Independent Spirit Awards for her I would hope so mm. I really do hope so Ready for the talent show, Jay? Still going on. Way to go. Oh, are you kidding me? Kid was born ready. Clapton's shaking in his boots right now. That. What do you want to drink, dude? I'm fine with water. Hey, did you get your sciences back? I'll be plus. See? Aren't you glad we decided to study a little more now? Are you going to go to the dance? What dance? There's a mixer over at the high school. Mrs. Keeper asked me to chaperone, but she said Jay hadn't bought his ticket yet. Dances aren't really my thing. Aren't really your thing. Um, girls, slow dancing, making out. Not making out. Well, that's every guy's thing. Look, if you need any lessons, back in the day, girls used to refer to me as the grind king. Did you know that, babe? You see, you just press okay. up against them real All right, close. grind king, you can sit down now. We get Show the point. Mallory, we got working with them. Who's Mallory? Hoxton Movies. On Hoxton Radio. We were all just commenting in the studio how we like Aaron Paul's gruff voice. Uh, he's very good in this, by the way. I like him. I like him. Mm. I mean, he does seem to play the same character, but I do like him. Al Camino coming out tomorrow as well on Netflix. Yes. Um, Netflix have paid a lot of money for the advertising in Liverpool Street. You cannot miss that huge screen that they've got. Uh, I did. Oh. I, I was rushing, to be fair. I fell up the escalators. Uh, <laughs> it was no. embarrassing. Oh, but you got here, though. That's the main thing. I did. Um, I want to talk quickly about a new documentary that has finally been released on Amazon. Um, Kathy Griffin, the comedian, uh, achieved notoriety 
worldwide global notoriety when she did a photo shoot where she held up a mask a decapitated like head mask of Donald Trump covered in ketchup um, she did it as a kind of jokey mm. uh, photo shoot and the uh, the picture went viral and she was she was halfway through a 52 date tour of the US she lost all of those gigs as a result because all the theatres were getting death threats the Trump administration the Trump family they came for her mm. like no one's business you know she was very good friends with people like Anderson Cooper she used to do the CNN New Year's Eve show she got dropped from that people turned on her and it was a devastating time now she issued an apology at the time um, because I think Rosie O'Donnell sort of pointed out to her, who is no fan of Trump, as we know, mm. um, did say to her, you know, you've got to think about people like Daniel Pearl's mother who might have seen that picture, whose son was decapitated, mm. you know. Um, and she understood that, and that's what she was apologising for. But what was extraordinary was just the level of vitriol and the fact that she was ended up on a no-fly list, mm. she ended up on Interpol's list. She, as well... Uh, the FBI were investigating her. So that means the department, the, the Deputy uh, Attorney General, the DOJ, were spending taxpayer money on investigating whether Kathy Griffin was actually going to assassinate the President of the United States. I mean, when you think about the things yeah. that he's said and done, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's like he used all of his power and might, which is, as we know, the most forceful in the world, mm. to bring down a 52-year-old comedian at the time I think she was 52 and it's just ridiculous now I've been a lifelong fan of Kathy Griffin I love her I've seen her seen her in LA I've seen her in London I think she's a brilliant comedian I think she's great she's very outspoken always has been um, I couldn't believe the level of hate that was directed towards yeah. her it was so disproportionate to what she had done Yeah. so what she decided to do is eventually when she was allowed to fly she picked herself up and she instead of looking for work in America which she couldn't get she decided to book a tour uh, in all of these countries that were notoriously anti-Trump. So she went to Europe and she went to Australia and she did these stand-ups. Now, I was one of the people that saw the London Palladium gig. It was a three-hour stand-up. Oh, wow. And can I tell you, she was incredible. She wore the dress that she wore in the, in the photo shoot mm. as a mark of it. But the main thing that she was getting across was about what she did was protected by the First Amendment and she knows that because she went to a lawyer the, like a, a lawyer who was expert in the constitution and what she did was not illegal mm. and then she goes on to say you know that if the administration is allowed to censor comedians actors whoever journalists then you don't live in a democracy anymore and that is not okay mm. so she turned it around and she ended up selling out so many like all of these gigs she did the Sydney Opera she did the London Palladium but at the same time this was all happening she lost her sister with cancer you know, her mother is not well. You know, she's had to weather all these times. She lose all of her paid work. Like, it was a hard, hard yeah. time. And she's been someone who's always been on the outskirts of the industry. She's always had to scrap around for her part, her, her place in the business. And always been told by men, no, hmm. you know, you don't belong here. And yet she still forged a career for herself. And uh, the documentary that she's done, it's, it's so much, to be honest, it's more like uh, the stand-up. She's filmed yeah. uh, one of those things. But the, the first sort of half an hour is is uh, her behind the scenes and travelling and you get a real feel for the emotional toll it's okay, taken yeah, on her. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then you've got the hour and a half of the stand-up, which I was howling. But also, there's times where she's very emotional and very angry and everything she says is so articulate and so on point. And I think now that we're this many years into the Trump administration and we're seeing everything that's going on now, mm. we realise that this was nothing but a smear campaign yeah, and she was seen as an easy target. 
by him and the MAGA supporters. And um, she wasn't, re she refused to be like held down by them. And for to come back the way she has, just remarkable. I honestly urge everybody to see this. It's, it's hilarious, it's moving, it's insightful. I mean, she is a warrior, this woman. Uh, we've got the trailer for a hell of a story. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Ladies and gentlemen, Kathy Griffin. The image went viral. Kathy Griffin holding a bloodied likeness of President Donald Trump's head. The Secret Service says it can't afford to take any chances. Everybody's a hypocrite because everybody's imagined themselves standing there with his head. At least half the country. It got so crazy, I really did start to think, I've got to make this funny. It was a freaking mask with ketchup on it. Let's be very clear. This morning, I was woken up by the FBI. Guess who was on the MAGA bombers target list? When I say I'm glad to be here, like, seriously, I was afraid. <laughs> My first member attorney, he said, they're considering charging you with conspiracy to assassinate the president of the United States, which holds a lifetime sentence. You didn't know that part, did you? The First Amendment is under attack, truly. If you don't stand up, you get run over. I was detained at every single airport that I went to. I was held for six hours. <laughs> but obviously it's getting to me. Now I'm on this mission to make sure that they never, ever are allowed to do to anyone else what they did to me. Not anybody! There is no situation that doesn't need comedy. Oh, sorry about Trump. He's crazy. Fans everywhere. I'm gonna give you the tea. I'm opening the pot, I'm gonna spill some right now. About a third of the death threats that came in the old-timey mail to my house had actual real return addresses. <laughs> when I would hand one of those to an FBI agent, and he goes like this, well, I will have an answer in three minutes. It turns out there is such a thing as bad publicity. <laughs> I'm Kathy Griffin, and I never learned my lesson. You died. I'm quite sure this is from one of my aunts in Chicago. You're listening to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio. So it's London Film Festival time at the moment. We're in the midst of it. We've only got a few days left. Morton sadly hasn't managed to get along to any of the press screenings, have you? Nope. Not one. Yeah. To be honest, it's not a vintage year. So you haven't missed out on too much. Yeah, no, it's the kind of thing that last weekend, I, if I'd worked a bit harder, I, I could have got stuff. And then I looked at the program and I was kind of just like, nothing nothing jumps out. Like, mm. I would have liked to have got to Jojo Rabbit on Saturday morning, but after that, I was kind of just like... Meh. Well, let's talk about Jojo Rabbit, shall we? Okay. So Taika Waititi has directed this uh, World War Two comedy stroke drama hmm. about a young boy uh, played by Roman Griffin Davis who is called Jojo Rabbit Betzler and he uh, is um, part of like he's in Berlin hmm. in Germany and he's uh, part of the, what do they call the Hitler Youth Hitler Youth yes yeah, sorry for he's part of the Hitler Youth and uh, he is obviously being brainwashed um, like the rest of uh, his you know cohorts um to believe in everything that Hitler is saying and doing. Mm. And uh, Sam Rockwell plays the uh, Nazi guard who is kind of responsible for training them all. Uh, Rebel Wilson is, um, yeah, she's a, a Nazi guard as well. Okay. And Alfie Allen is also an Alfie guard, uh, uh, Nazi guard who is Sam Rockwell's love interest. <laughs> it's quite broad. Okay. 
uh, and Scarlett Johansson plays the mother of the child um, but the most sort of talked about an interesting part I guess about it is that Taika Waititi himself plays Hitler as Jojo's imaginary friend mm. so Hitler pops up when Jojo's feeling a bit down to kind of uh, tell him what's what in a very in a very Taika Waititi kind of way it's very broad it's very funny um, but I think my issue with the film is that it's it's a film of two halves it's kind of like it is a out and out satire it in no way glamorizes nazis if anything it just makes them completely foolish but there mm. is something a little uncomfortable about making certain characters lovable buffoons yeah um but it also jars slightly because he you i kind of get the sense that he wants to make a really serious film not necessarily with this but he wants to do something a bit more serious because the film sort of shifts gear mm. um when jojo uh runs into a young girl a young Jewish girl that her, his mother is harboring in the house yeah and uh, his kind of stance on everything changes and that's the sort of journey of his character um, and it sort of has this bit in the middle and then the third act is when things ramp up and you've got Stephen Merchant pops in as a Gestapo agent and of course he really you know yeah everything is, is dripping in comic irony and it's just it just feels to, it felt to me a little jarring like the individual moments are very funny and it's very well made and the young lad is brilliant like he's great in the lead role really like carries the film mm. um, I don't know it just made me feel I just felt a bit underwhelmed by it yeah I think my kind of hopes going uh, well not going into it because I haven't gone into it but uh, my hopes for it were kind of that it might be a slight return to the form of Hunt for the World of People because that kind of had that mix of comedy and tragedy in it that I was hoping that this would uh, but yeah you've somewhat tempered my expectations I, I, I also felt this way about and I know this film has been compared to it Life is Beautiful Roberto Benigni's Life is Beautiful mm. because obviously it was set in a concentration camp and it's about a father trying to protect his son from the horrors of war mm. and quite rightly people have said it's not a subject matter that should ever be made light of No, and in a way I the best way I could describe Jojo Rabbit is it's kind of half Mel Brooks satire, half Boy in the Striped Pyjamas. And for those, those two things, they make an uneasy whole. Yeah. Um, like Rebel Wilson, obviously, just plays it so broadly and for laughs that it feels like she's in a different film. I will say Scarlett Johansson does a pretty decent job as a mother, and she's got an interesting story line, and, and uh, it's a nice performance by her. Sam Rockwell's dependable but a bit pratfally I don't know mm. it just it. I wanted to love it I didn't because I, I I think I went in feeling uncomfortable about the subject matter yeah no I, I get what you mean there I, because my kind of whole expectations for it again have been kind of like a kind of modern day Mel Brooks film but the fact that you said that yeah it does try and play that subplot very very seriously yeah that that wouldn't really work no no um, I think it's going to I think for mass audiences who want a real laugh mm. it's going to appeal because there's more laughs in it than there is drama um, but to what end yeah. you know I don't really know why this story needed to be told necessarily um, but anyway Jojo Rabbit is out at the end of this month and here's a clip Rob Esler you're looking fetching as usual it's because of you my son can't walk properly and has a messed up face <laughs> Stole the hangar leg. Just took it. Yeah, yeah. 
So you are going to look after him while I'm at work? Hmm? Make sure he has a job and feels included. Got it? Got it. Yeah, really got it. Good. Guys, this is Johannes Betzler. The kid I told you about. Remember, he stole a hand grenade and blew himself up. And as a result, I got demoted for negligence. Now I get to work in this office with all these wonderful kids. So, Jojo, I'm sure we can figure out something for you to do. Oh. Ideas? Yeah. Guys? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, we need somebody to walk the clones. Also, I think maybe he could hand out this new propaganda and ooh, deliver these conscriptions. I don't suppose I could be conscripted. Could I? Hoxton Movies with Nikki, Matt, and Morton on Hoxton Radio. So there you go, clip from Jojo Rabbit. Hmm. You have to make up your own mind. Um, right, so another film that I saw that I definitely won't be recommending on any level is Wounds, which is uh, Babak Anvari, who... Um, I think, what was the film he made? Oh, God, I always forget. Uh, let me just Google it while we can. But anyway, it stars Army Hammer and um, Dakota Johnson and Zazie Beetz, and it's set in New Orleans, and <laughs> Army Hammer plays a bartender in this really rough bar who uh, had been at college but dropped out and is now a functioning alcoholic. Um, Seems like the perfect role for the whitest man ever. Honestly, he's the least convincing bar flight of all time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was, um, sorry, Babak Anvari directed Under the Shadow, which got a lot of attention. Oh, uh, the Iranian, Iranian British film. Iranian horror film. Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Got a lot of good notices. Um, th- so yeah, so uh, Army Hammer is the bartender. Zazi Beats is the bar fly, who is his friend, who uh, hangs out in the bar and gets drunk. And then there's all these awful characters in the bar who are really, really rough. And you kind of go, why would you ever work here? Why would you ever be in this bar? It's a, it's mm. awful. Um, anyway, these kids come in one evening and they are all clearly underage but they're all sort of like there in the corner whispering and he serves them anyway because he doesn't care and there's a big fight that breaks out in the bar and someone gets stabbed in the face with a bottle and the kids are filming it um, they manage to split up the fight and when Army Hammer looks around the bar he finds one of the kids phones which he takes home now he lives with his girlfriend Dakota Johnson playing Dakota Johnson yet again can't eat a bowl of cereal convincingly um, <laughs> Honest to God, I'm like even eating cereal. It looks like you're acting. What is this? Um, so anyway, so he he's got the phone and he looks at it and he starts getting messages from one of the boys who's like asking for help and they're like really threatening messages and then all of a sudden he realizes that this you don't threaten someone if you're asking for help. <laughs> well, this boy, well, he kind of help me or I'll kill you. Yeah, he's. Kind I don't of, know why I made them Cockney. No, they're not it's Cockney. Not, it's New no, Orleans. Yeah. But no, they're kind of there's this menacing tone to the thing. But it, basically, what happens is he he manages to get into the phone, get this because he looks at it and he can see that the because it's one of those swipe phones. He can see where Please the thing no. where the fingerprint is made to swipe. I was like, okay, girl, sure. Right, anyway, so he does that, and then he finds all these really horrific pictures in the phone and video of people being murdered. And it turns out that these kids have found a book, something called The Testament of Wounds, and have done a ritual, and now they're all cursed and everyone's going to die. That's it. There's no more explanation for that whatsoever. Anyway, so Hammer uh, becomes more dishevelled, i.e. has a bit of stubble, and he's wandering around while imagining cockroaches are flying all over him, and... um, 
the kids are sending messages and like these like teens are following him in a car it's hilarious anyway um, Dakota Johnson then looks at something on the internet and she becomes kind of possessed as well sort of lost interest at that point but it's basically one of those films where it makes you jump because the sound design and the sound effects are so loud like when a phone goes when, a, when you get a text message mm. everyone is in goes Ooh! like that you know it's like oh it's just a text message what are we scared for you know so instead of actual frights and yeah. chills it's it's all designed to make you scared rather than anything actually happening or storyline um, it's pretty gross in places um, also like it makes it like Army Hammer he just I, I do like him I like him he's so miscast in this he's not there's no reason why this guy would be working in this bar it doesn't make yeah. any sense or looking like him he looks like a bloody Abercrombie and Fitch model and at one point he pulls out like a, an eight ball and him and Zazie Beats do like lines of like this drug in the bathroom and then he goes back and does a whole shift in the bar and I thought not you a meant sweat. Like a pool ball no it's called an eight ball isn't it the I think, I think it's so. like yeah, yeah, yeah. is it called an eight ball I don't know nine ball heroin and cocaine mixed together so they do that and then of course they both look absolutely glamorous and amazing and fantastic and he still drives around New Orleans it's the effect it has but it's like you know what I mean like nothing, I mean I know, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I know it's not meant to be realistic given the subject matter but it just it doesn't bother to try and explain anything that happens um, it's utterly bonkers without being interesting so, I'm, I'm there I wasn't a fan it's um I think it might get a cinema release. It's definitely on Netflix. Mm. It's going to be on Netflix soon. And uh, here's the trailer. through it to see whose it was. movies on Hoxton radio even the trailer is mainly sound effects I mean yeah look if you just it sounded like David was like the trailer voice man for that trailer as what, well why was it Welsh stroke Newcastle accent no just on? like the kind of <laughs> at oh. the end of the trailer and then his voice coming in it was like yeah disturbing um, <laughs> so another film that I saw was it today? No, yesterday. Oh, my God. <laughs> yesterday morning was Knives Out, which uh, got its premiere at Toronto. It's directed by Ryan Johnson, who, of course, made The Last Jedi. Mm. And it got 
amazing reviews at Toronto. Everyone was raving about it. It stars Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Catherine Langford, and Christopher Plummer. So it has a hell of a cast. And I was going into this with very high expectations. It was a very popular screening because I think the film was starting at 10.15. I got there at 9.15 and the queue was already snaking all the way around Leicester Square for the press screening. So every, everybody wanted to see it. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's mm. a lot of fun. It's a kind of Agatha Christie who done it. Um, actually more like, you know, Clue? Remember that movie from the 80s yeah. with Tim Curry? It's kind of like an updated version of that where everybody gets to play a slightly exaggerated form of a character. Um, it's well plotted. Um, the cast work brilliantly together actually even though it's hard to believe they're related because they don't look anything alike but but they they make it work so essentially what's happened is christopher Plummer plays this um very successful novelist uh, murder mystery novelist who um is having a, a, his birthday party all the family are gathered uh, his son uh, is played by michael shannon uh, his daughter is played by jamie lee curtis her husband is don johnson chris evans is their son tony collette is the widow of their, their other brother who's passed away um, and they're all kind of gravity they all basically rely on the father in some way or mm. another so Jamie Lee Curtis character she's a successful real estate agent but she's you know it was all funded by her dad um, he's doing handouts to everybody and so Daniel Craig turns up as this kind of Poirot character who isn't hired by the police he's been hired by a mysterious uh, unknown donor to solve this mystery and find out whether it was suicide, as people have said, or it was murder. So the film sort of goes with that. Um, Anna de Amaris plays uh, Marta Cabarea, who is his nurse, Chris Plummer's nurse, and she plays a pivotal role in it. Um, it's so much fun. He has a ball with this, uh, Ryan Johnson. The camera angles are great. It's very gothic. It's very sweeping. Um, proper, like, strings mm. sort of soundtrack. Um that turns very very funny it's not really dramatic Chris Evans is great like I I, I don't know it's, it seems to me like they go and do the Avengers and those sort of things they sort of get very used to being on a film set and then they go and do independent films and are great yeah. <laughs> and, well not independent films but smaller films um, it's just it's a lot of fun is it one of the best films of the year given this year possibly but okay, it's a very enjoyable broad picture with a fantastic ensemble cast Tony Collette oh my god she plays like a kind of Gwyneth Paltrow goop type guru and even with just like the inflections and the little looks and everything she has you howling Daniel Craig as well who knew brilliant mm. like he's, he's got this kind of like French New Orleans accent and it's just hilarious but it works it's not great and it's really it's really really fun um, yeah I enjoyed it a lot and considering it was a completely original script written by Ryan Johnson mm. um, and obviously he got maybe burnt by The Last Jedi decided to go off and do something a little bit more in his wheelhouse although nothing he's done before would suggest he was the right person for this maybe the brothers bloom yeah but no. not not to this degree not not the way he sort of wrangles an entire ensemble of really well-known actors i mean don okay. johnson as well don johnson's great yeah. who knew anyway knives out is not out here till middle of november i think um, and here's the trailer Harlan started out with a rusty Smith Corona and built himself into one of the best-selling mystery writers of all time. 30 languages, over 80 million copies sold. You guys fans? I mean, I don't do much fiction reading myself. Big but... fan. I'm a big fan. Who is that guy? Uh, Mr. Blanc is a private investigator of great renown. I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. You're famous. 
The night of his demise, the family had gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. And your son, Ransom, did he attend as well? Yes, but he left early. I think Linda was upset. Walt would get a little Irish courage in him. He'd get into it with Harlan. What? Richard said what? Are you baiting me, detective? Attempting to be thorough so we can figure out the manner of death. You mean if someone killed him? You think one of us, one of his family, Walt, Walt. killed him? Mr. Blanc, I just buried my father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. Harlem was cleaning house. Everyone in the family has possible motives. Was Harlan planning on cutting off Joni? Did he plan to fire Walter? Is Richard having an affair? That's some heavy-duty conjecture. Funny, Ransom, you skipped the funeral, but you're early for the will reading. Up your ass. Very nice. Oh, Ransom. Ransom. You gotta do this more often. The family is truly desperate. When people get desperate, the knives come out. This is a twisted web. And we are not finished untangling it. Not yet. I keep waiting for the big reveal. All of them lied to me. There is one guilty party behind it all. You know something. Spill it. Oh my god. Tell me what happened to my grandfather. I think you have something you want to tell me. Hoxton Movies with the Genesis Cinema on Hoxton Radio. Right, final review of the show before we hand over to getting her ears is The Lighthouse my favourite film of the festival so far uh, it's directed by Robert Eggers who directed The Witch and it stars Willem Dafoe and Robert Patterson it's um, set on, on a remote island it's all filmed in black and white and it's about two lighthouse keepers as they're faced with loneliness not really a friendship because they're kind of at war with each other from, mm. the, from the very off and then their worst fears as isolation and tension mounts it's a remarkable descent into madness that is so beautifully constructed like the direct the art direction cinematography the jumps the bizarreness of it it's just so engrossing from the off and the performances are like you cannot believe you're watching Robert Patterson he's so brilliant in this part and him and Defoe together they just bounce off each other they're amazing mm. and Willem Defoe has to deliver at least three like one shot monologues where you're like what how is he doing that <laughs> it's so good and also it's kind of great because it's like it's half kind of surrealist and half mm. like gritty sort of you know and it's it, it, it kind of mixes in sort of um, you know folklore yeah about you know whatever old sea tales and stuff with this guy's journey and where he's got to at this point and it's um yeah it's brilliant it's it's not for the faint-hearted but um it's one of the most original films i've seen in a very very long time so yeah do check it out i think it's probably going to get quite a lot of awards recognition at the end of the year so yeah no not sure when it's out actually in the uk it must must be in the next few weeks i'd have guessed um i thought it's actually quite a delayed one possibly 
Oh, no, it says October 18th. Oh, okay. Next Friday. So there you go. Good or maybe stuff. that's the US, though. It might mm. be the UK. That's the US. Anyway, look out for it. It's well worth a watch. Anyway, that's it for this week. Um, we're going to hand over to Get In Her Ears. So do stay tuned there with you till 10 p.m. Um, and we're going to finish off with, of course, the classic um, Over the Rainbow from our soundtrack of the week, which is from Judy. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Uh-huh.